Chapter Fourteen of the Night Club by Herbert Jenkins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: Ginger Visits the Night Club. Bindle had on more than one occasion been urged to bring Ginger to the Night Club, but Ginger finds himself not olden with so many things in life that he is very difficult to approach. One evening, however, Bindle entered with the khaki-clad Ginger. Awkward and self-conscious, Ginger strove to disguise his nervousness under the mantle of his habitual gloom. "'We've been walking in the park,' Bindle announced. "'I've been quite worried about poor old Ginge. Sunday evening in the park ain't no place for a young chap like him. It puts wrong ideas into his head.' Ginger grumbled something in his throat, and with one hand took the cigar Dick Little offered, whilst with the other he grasped the glass of beer that Windover had poured out for him. "'Funny place, I'd park on a Sunday evening,' Bindle remarked conversationally to Sally. "'But it's a rare responsibility with a chap like Ginger.' "'Now, Mr. Bindle,' she smiled, "'if you tease him I shall be cross.' "'Me tease, miss? You must be mixin' me up with Mr. Errold.' "'Get along with the yarn, J.B. Tell us about the park,' urged Carruthers, who liked nothing better than to get Bindle going. "'You should hear what them Australian boys says about the daylight bill,' he continued after a pause. "'The daylight bill?' queried Angel Harold. "'Well, you see, sir, it's like this. Them poor chaps says that they gets a gal, and then, as soon as it gets dark, it's time for her to go home.' "'But why?' began Angel Herald. "'Oh, you work it out by the square root of the primitive instinct,' said Dick Little, which left Angel Herald exactly where he was before. "'They're an odd lot, them Australians,' Bindle proceeded. "'Ginger says they go off with all the gals, and he don't get a chance. Ain't that so, old sport?' he demanded, turning to Ginger. "'Why don't old with women?' grumbled Ginger. Anyway, the kangaroos don't give yer much chance of holding him. Fine chaps they looks, too. I don't blame the gals, Bindle added. Funny things, gals, continued Bindle. They'd chuck a angel for an Australian. Ertie's got a gal to help in the shop. She's a pretty bit, too. You can always trust Ertie in little things like that. Well, she's nuts on Australians. Poor Martha gets quite worried about it. "'Martha's Ertie's missus,' he explained. "'A rare lot of trouble she's had with Jenny. First of all, the gal took up with the milkman, what's got an art and can't get into khaki. Then she chucks him and starts with Australians. And he was a five-penny milkman, too, and now he can't go near the Ertie's house without it hurting him, so poor old Martha is a penny down on her milk.' Bindle paused and proceeded to pull at his pipe meditatively. "'Get ahead, man!' cried Dare impatiently. "'What happened to the fickle Jenny?' "'Well,' continued Bindle, "'she seemed to get a new Australian every night out, and poor old milk-cans is looking round for another bit of skirt. "'Know this thou lovest amiss, and to love true, thou must begin again, and love anew,' quoted Dare. One day Martha asks Jenny why she's always out with Australians instead of our chaps. 
She looks down, shuffles her feet, nibbles the corner of her apron. At last she says, Oh, mum, it's the way they holds yer. Yes, continued Bindle. They're fine chaps, them Australians, and they can fight, too. After a pause he continued, Old Spotty can't stand em, though. Spotty's got something wrong with his lungs, and the doctor says to him, Spotty old card, it's outdoors or underground, the choice is with you. So instead of becoming a member of Parliament, Spotty goes round taking pennies for letting people sit down on the chairs in the park. It means four pence half penny an hour now, and rheumatism lighter. Them Australians can't understand being asked a penny to sit down, and sometimes they refuses to pay, thinking it's a do. It's a shame not to let em sit down for nothing, after they come all them miles to fight. So Spotty soon learns to sort of overlook him. One day an inspector reports him to the governor, and he was hauled up and asked to tell all about it. He did. Also, our one of em offered to fight him for the penny. Spotty's a slip of a thing, like a war sausage. I took up this ere job, says Spotty, to get well, not as a shortcut to the hospital. And he offered to resign. But they're short of men, and Spotty is still taking pennies, when he can get em without scrapping. Lord, the things Spotty's told me about Oi Park. It ain't no place for me. I told Mrs. B. one night, leastwise I told her some, and she says, The king ought to stop it. Bindle grinned. I can see him going round a stoppin' it by having all the chairs put two yards apart and being light for his supper. Are you a royalist, J.B.? inquired Windover languidly. Oh, what, sir? inquired Bindle. Do you believe in kings? I believe in our king. There was decision in Bindle's voice. He's a sport, same as his father was. I'm sick of all this talk about a republic. Disgust was clearly expressed upon Bindle's face and in his voice. Down at the yard they're always jawin' about the revolution what's comin'. I don't hold with kings, broke in Ginger. There's goin' to be a revolution. Hello, Ginge, you woke up? Well, old son, what's wrong with George Five? Look what he costs, and you and me has to pay, and everything goin' up like hell. Hush, Ginger, hush! There's a loidy here. Ginger looked awkwardly at Sally, who smiled her reassurance. I suppose, Ginger, you thinks you're going to get a republic with a pound of tea, said Bindle good-humouredly. There's going to be a revolution, persisted Ginger doggedly. Ginger logic is repetition. After the war, he added. And what you going to revolute about? inquired Bindle, gazing at Ginger's face which Windover has described as freckled with stupidity. For a few minutes Ginger was silent, thinking laboriously. "'Look at the price of beer?' he at length challenged with inspiration. "'Well, Ginge, ain't you an old Uggins? D'ye think you'll get cheap beer if you makes George and Mary op it? Not you, old son. What you most likely get is no beer at all, same as in America.' That's a lie. We were all startled at the anger in Ginger's voice, as he flashed a sullen challenge round the room. Don't get uffy, old sport. What's a lie? 
inquired Vindle, unmoved by Ginger's outburst. "'That they ain't got no beer in America?' snarled Ginger. "'J.B. is quite right,' murmured Windover soothingly. "'In some states there's no drink of any sort.' Ginger gazed from one to the other, bewilderment and alarm stamped upon his face. "'Well, I'm—' began Ginger. "'Surprised!' broke in Bindle. "'Of course you are. Fancy being in the army without anything to wash it down.' "'Now, Ginger,' said Bindle, after a pause, "'tell the general how happy you are being a soldier.' "'I don't old with the army,' was Ginger's gloomy response. "'What?' There was the light of battle in the general's eye. "'Then why the devil did you enlist?' he demanded in his most aggressive parade manner. "'To get away,' was Ginger's enigmatical response. "'To get away? To get away from what?' demanded the general. "'You see, sir,' explained Bindle, "'Ginger ain't happy in his own life. He's got a wife and three kids and—' "'John and squallin,' interrupted Ginger vindictively. "'Why don't you like the army?' demanded the general. "'Don't old with officers.' "'With officers? Why?' "'What are you about?' "'How the devil would you know what to do if they didn't order you about?' demanded the general, rapidly losing his temper. "'Don't old with the army,' was the grumbled retort. It is Ginger's method, when faced with an awkward question, to fall back upon his inner defences by announcing that he don't old with, whatever it is under discussion. "'If you don't hold with the army, with officers, with wives and children, then what do you hold with?' demanded the general angrily. Beer, was the laconic response, uttered without the vestige of a smile. Ginger personifies gloom. He would, if he could, snatch the sun's ray from a dewdrop, or the joyousness from a child's laugh. It is constitutional. Poor old Ginger's happier when he's miserable, Bindle explained. But he's a rare good sort at art, is Ginge. He once bought a cock canary, what the man told him would sing like a prize bird, but when the yeller comes off and there warn't no song, and the bird started a layin' eggs, it sort of broke poor old Ginge up. He ain't never been the same man since, have your old sport. Ginger muttered something inaudible, the tone of which suggested blood. If you could catch that cove, you'd be oldin' him, eh, Ginge? Blast him! exploded Ginger. Shortly afterwards Ginger took an ungracious leave. The nightclub saw him no more. On the Sunday following Bindle arrived early, hilarious with excitement. "'Old me, Horace!' he cried joyously, and two of Tim's men supported him in the approved manner of the prize-ring, flapping handkerchiefs before his face. Presently Bindle reassumed control of his limbs. "'What's the joke?' inquired Dick Little. "'Joke!' cried Bindle. "'Joke! Here, hold me again!' After further ministrations he explained. On the previous day he had met one of Ginger's mates, who had told him that Ginger was undergoing seven days' C.B. for fighting in the guard-room. "'And what you think he was fighting about?' inquired Bindle, his face crinkled with smiles. "'We gave it up.' "'Because one of his mates says we're going to have a republic.' 
the poor chap's in orspital now he added a learnin' to believe in kings and poor old ginger's learnin' it ain't wise to believe too much in anythink well here's to private ginger loyalist cried jim coleman and we drank the toast in a way that brought the general hurrying up from below i seem to be avin quite a lot of things appen last week remarked bindle as he unscrewed the stopper of a beer bottle on the sideboard and poured the contents into a pewter tankard that sally had given him after a long and refreshing drink he continued tantalizingly funny how things appen to me cheero archie this to old archie who had just entered his face looking more than ever like a withered apple in which were set a pair of shrewd but kindly eyes tellin the tale joe he remarked then turning to the rest of us he added suppose poor old joe was to forget how to talk evenin my lord this with an upward movement of his hand as windover entered there ain't no fear o that archie me lad replied bindle i'm as likely to forget ow to talk as you are to remember to put the coffee into the stuff yourselves for more'n it's worth what's been happening demanded blint i see mr angel Errol the other day bindle remarked i was on the tailboard o the van with old wilkes im what coughs to keep him from swallowing flies did he see you inquired dick little if he didn't see me there wasn't no excuse for him not earin wilkie's cough they would have him as a special constable rude to him they was poor old wilkie ain't forgot it he's a bit sensitive like not bein married never mind about wilkes broke in tom little get on with the story j b at times bindle has a tendency to wander into bypaths of reminiscence it was in the strand he continued and to make sure of mr angel Errold not bein disappointed i cheerowed him he sort o looked round frightened like then he disappeared into a tea-shop like a rabbit in a ole s'pose he suddenly remembered he was tea-thirsty and bindle looked round solemnly perhaps he didn't hear you ventured dick little when i cheero a cove and wilkie coughs at him well if he don't ear then he ought to be seen to because it's serious why the cop on point mentioned it to me said we'd set the motor buses shyin if we didn't stop he was quite hurt about it seemed upset like about poor old wilkie's cough no he hurt us right enough he may not have recognised you the boy ventured knowing full well that angel harold would not be seen exchanging salutations with a man on the tailboard of a pantechnicon but bindle merely closed his left eye and placed the forefinger of his right hand at the side of his nose at that moment angel harold entered the room he glanced a little anxiously i thought at bindle who however greeted him with unaffected good humour when you come in sir he explained cheerily i was just tellin ow me and wilkie ran across is lordship last week me and wilkie was on the tailboard o the van but his lordship came up and what you think bindle gazed round the room triumphantly angel harold looked extremely unhappy windover on the contrary seemed unusually interested having centred upon himself the attention of the whole room bindle proceeded he took us into a swell place and stood us a dinner 
Lord, how they look to see us, me and Wilkie in our aprons, his lordship in his red tabs and a gold rim to his cap, and a red band round it. Bindle was enjoying himself hugely, especially as he saw that Angel Harold was becoming more and more uncomfortable. We had champagne and oysters and soup and, well, I thought Wilkie had never stop. He broke off to light his pipe. When it was in full blast, he continued, Presently a cove in an eye-collar comes up, and says polite-like to his lordship, Would you kindly ask that gentleman to hurry with his soup, sir? Meaning Wilkie. There's a gentleman over there what says he can't hear the band, and this is his favourite tune. Mr. Bindle, cried Sally, who was very sensitive on the subject of table manners. I'm sorry, miss, but you see poor old Wilkie never had no mother to teach him. Yes, he continued, we had a rare old time, me and Wilkie. Angel Harold looked from Bindle to Windover. His veneer of self-complacency had been badly punctured. By the way, J.B., said Windover, I want you to come to lunch with me again on Saturday. You'll come, little and you, boy. It was Bindle's turn to look surprised. That is how he got a real dinner with a lord, and Angel Harold had a lesson by which he probably failed to profit. To this day he believes Bindle's story of the mythical lunch. Bindle has never forgiven Angel Harold his men's stories, and he unites with the boy in scoring off him whenever possible. Sometimes Dick Little and I have to take a strong line with both delinquents. Fortunately, Angel Harold is more often than not oblivious of what is taking place. Sometimes we have a night devoted to Bindle's view on life. His philosophy is a thing devoid of broideries and frills. It is the essence of his own experience. Once, when Dare had been talking upon the subject of ideals, Bindle had remarked, "'Very pretty to talk about, but they ain't much use in the furniture-moving line. One in the eye is more likely to make a man behave than a month's jawn bout what Erty calls brotherly love.' Bindle's good nature makes it possible for him to say without offence what another man could not even hint at. Windover once remarked that Bindle would go through life, saying and doing things impossible to any but a prize-fighter. "'And why a bruiser, sir?' Bindle had inquired. "'Well, few men care to punch the head of a professional boxer,' was the retort. "'It ain't what you say, sir,' Bindle had remarked, obviously pleased at the compliment. "'It's what's behind the words. I ain't got time to look for angels in trousers, or saints in skirts. There ain't many of us what ain't got a tear or an old somewhere, but it ain't helping things to put it in the papers.' But, Jim Dare, one of Tim's men, broke in wickedly, without criticism there'd be no progress. Bindle was on him like a flash. If an angel's lost his tail feathers, he retorted, you bet the other angels ain't going to make a song about it. If they was the right sort of angels, they'll pull their own out, to show that tail feathers ain't everything. We made many attempts to get at Bindle's views upon the hereafter, but although by nature as open as the day, there are some things about which he is extremely reticent. One evening, in answer to a direct challenge, he replied, "'Well, I don't rightly know. 
I ain't been taught things. But I got a sort of idea that God's a sight better man than Joe Bindle, and that's why I can't stick Erty's God. He ain't God no more'n I'm the Kaiser. Then, after a pause, he had added, If God's going to be God, he's got to be a mystery. Why, there's some coves what seem to know more about what God's going to do than what they've had for dinner. Dick Little never lost an opportunity of getting Bindle started upon his favourite subject, marriage. One night he announced that his brother Tom had been engaged to be married. "'He's what?' interrogated Bindle. "'He's done it, J.B.' Dick Little had replied with a laugh. Bindle said nothing, but we awaited Tom Little's arrival with no little eagerness. When he entered, Bindle fixed him with a remorseless eye. "'What's this I hear, sir?' he inquired. "'What's what?' Tom Little inquired, becoming very pink, and casting a furious glance in his brother's direction. Tom Little's demeanour left no doubt as to his guilt. For some moments Bindle regarded him gravely. Tom Little proceeded to light a cigarette, but he was obviously ill at ease. "'What's the use of me telling you all about women?' Bindle demanded. "'When, as soon as me back's turned, you goes and does it. Silly sort of thing to do, I call it. Don't be an ass, J.B., Tom Little strove to carry off the affair lightly. But Bindle was Radamanthine. Oi, told you not to, he continued, then after a pause. Course she's got pretty air and eyes, and made you feel funny and all that. But you just wait. Mrs. B. had all them things, and look at her now. She's about as soft-hearted as a cop is to a cove what's carrying the banner. Note walking the streets through the night. Shut up, J.B., said Tom Little, looking round as if seeking some loophole of escape. Well, sir, said Bindle, with an air of resignation, it's your funeral, but I'm sorry. I hope God'll help you, but I know he won't. Another evening Bindle had opened the proceedings by his customary, "'Miss and gentlemen, I got a warning to give you. There's only two things what a cove has got to fight against. One is a wife and his bosom, and the other is various veins in his legs. And now I'll call for a story.'" End of chapter 14